week eight of Ezekiel. Two weeks to go uh, after this week, and uh, that'll take us to around the 15th of December. Then we'll pick up a a, a new uh, series for Christmas, thinking of doing that one on Jesus. Does that seem kind of like the right thing to do? And uh, then into the new year, I think I know what God's saying about the new year, but um, uh, just uh, for, for fun and uh, curiosity and interest and anything else that God might say, if you were me, what would you preach on in the new year in our church? Okay, tweet, Facebook, email, write it out, love to hear from you. If you were me, what would you preach on in January 2014? Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've set some time aside in my diary to read all that you will write in. Uh, to me. Wow, God is sovereign, and uh, that's the hashtag, and you can catch up everything there. And uh, we've been seeing over these weeks that even in judgment, God is working his purpose out. How amazingly clever God is. That even in the bad moments, even in the messed up humanity, even in the wrong place, this is all happening in Babylon, in Ishtar's place, in Ishtar's house. It's all upside and inside out. God is still at work and he's still able to work out his sovereign purpose. I'm encouraged by that. doesn't matter what mess we're in, what situation we find ourselves in. God's able to be at work. And we've seen that God sometimes comes in ways that we're less quick to speak about. He comes to judge. He comes to say, enough's enough. He comes to say, I'm not going to let this carry on anymore. He comes to help us see our blind spots, ways that we're thinking and behaving that uh, we cannot see for ourselves. And he comes, as we saw last week, to remind us how careful we need to be about the realities that we create with our words. This week, we kind of come to the last of the mega themes, I think, that God is bringing to the people as he brings his judgment upon them in uh, Babylon. And then next week, we'll move into the hope that uh, Ezekiel promises. It's a hope that is being fulfilled even today. You are part of the fulfillment of what Ezekiel spoke all those years ago. And then we'll wrap up the series with reminding ourselves of some really important things about that hope that we can see being worked out in our own church today. So Ezekiel chapter 3 is where we need to begin, although you might want to keep your finger in uh, chapter 33 um, as, we, as we go. There in Ezekiel 33, in Ezekiel 3, and then picked up again in Ezekiel 33, we get this idea about being a watchman. And so this morning's called Watchmen Don't Just Watch. Here's the key verse then in chapter 3, verse 17. Son of man, I've made you, that's Ezekiel, a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Ezekiel uh, was called in a spiritual sense to be a watchman. A physical metaphor, a physical job that uh, 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 God was using to help Ezekiel understand his particular role. So a watchman, as you might expect, watches. A uh, watchman is on the city wall, watching into the distance in order to see uh, at the very first opportunity that the enemy is coming. And when the watchman sees in the distance that the enemy is coming, he goes into the city and he blows his... What does that sound like? What does that sound like? (laughs) 
It's going to be a long morning. And he blows his trumpet, and uh, all the people go, oh my word, the enemy is coming, and they get themselves ready for action. Ezekiel, God says, is to be a watchman. A watchman not just for a physical enemy that's coming, but a watchman for the judgment that God will bring through the enemy's attack. So uh, they were to take this idea of being a watchman and to understand it in a spiritual way. Well, what's that got to do with us? Well, you might imagine that for Ezekiel and for uh, any person, being a watchman is crucially important. If you fail your job as a watchman, your city gets uh, taken by surprise and you're overrun and you're destroyed. But it wasn't just Ezekiel that was called to be a watchman. In a very similar sense, the whole of Jerusalem as a city was called to be a watchman. If you move on to verse 5 of chapter 5, so a few pages on, Chapter 5 is a, is a whole chapter where, where, where uh, God is, is trying to express his massive frustration, not just because the people had turned their back on God, but a massive frustration because they not only had they turned their back on God, when they should have been a light to the nations, when they should have been living as watchmen and women, as watch people, I'll use watchmen this morning, and I mean everybody, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, watchmen, when uh, they should have been watchmen, when they should have been the ones that were sounding the warning, they were so caught up in their own sin and wickedness that they failed to act in that way whatsoever. So chapter 5 is all about the judgment that God brings because they had become like the other nations. Now, Here in Ezekiel 33, the Lord pushes home this idea of why a watchman is so important. Ezekiel was called to be a watchman. Jerusalem itself was called to be a watchman. And by implication and understanding as we apply this to our lives, we are to be watch people, watch men and women in our day and in our time. Why was being a watchman so important in a spiritual sense? Firstly, watchmen believe there is a judgment. Watchmen believe there is a judgment. It was so important that watchmen did what watchmen did in order to protect the people, the city, from the enemy's attack. In its spiritual application here in Ezekiel, God is saying watchmen are incredibly important because they are the people that really still believe there is a judgment. Do you remember how Ezekiel's uh, trying to explain to the people that God one day is going to go enough's enough and basically the people go, our God will never do that, we're okay. And it's so easy to live a Christianity like that. It's so easy to be in a church like that, where at the end of the day we say, well, it's all okay, really. God's not really going to do anything, is he? God's not really the God who, in the end, says enough's enough. God's not really the God that, in the end, says, I am holy, therefore be holy, because that's what I say. Watchmen believe there is a judgment. Do you believe there is a judgment that everyone around us needs to be rescued from. Depending on how deeply you believe that, everything else about your Christian life is affected. 
It either matters completely or it doesn't matter at all. And watchmen believe there is a judgment, but watchmen more particularly see that it's imminent. They are on the lookout every day. He sees the sword coming. He sees God's judgment far off when most people think that it's so far away as not to be an issue at all. Watchmen see that it's real and it's nearer and it's closer than we think. You see, many of us in our Christian faith will say we believe God in the end will judge. We believe that in the end Jesus will come back and he'll judge the living and the dead. But do we see it coming each day? Do we see it, its shadow falling over our broken, hurting, sinful world? Is it such a far-moved reality that even though it's true, it makes very little difference? Or is it something I see so clearly that it alters and affects and changes the way that I live every day? Jesus says you need to live like this, recognizing that this world, the people in it, stand condemned already. That's not a very popular message. But that's what he said. And just two verses away from the verse that we quote forever, for God so loved the world that he saved, there is this equally true contention for Jesus that the world in which we live already stands condemned. It's not just that one day they will be condemned, but they already stand condemned. John the Baptist put it this way. He says the axe is laid. It's already, the axe is already at the foot of the tree. Time is short. Thirdly, watchmen are so important. Why? Because of what they do. Watchmen blow their trumpet. How does it sound? (laughs) Yes, fantastic. Yes. And all the people in the city fell about laughing so much that the enemy came in and rooted them because they couldn't pick up their swords. They were weak with hysterics. Uh, It sounded a bit like that. Watchmen blow their trumpet. Now, what did the trumpet do? The trumpet said the enemy is coming. In this spiritual interpretation that that God's giving Ezekiel, what does the trumpet mean? The trumpet is a warning sound that God's judgment is on its way. We are to sound the trumpet that God's judgment is on its way. And I'm suddenly sounding like some Protestant church that a few of you grew up in when you were hauled over the fires, especially those from Northern Ireland um, and a few in South Wales. But, but we're in danger of losing that message altogether. And we do that at our peril with equal, with equal truth. There are a number of reasons why we don't want to sound that trumpet. You can think of all kinds of reasons why you don't want to blow a trumpet that says judgment is coming. But look how daft it is. This is why the message, the metaphor of the watchman is so powerful. It's like the watchman seeing that the judgment, the enemy is coming in the distance, turning round with his trumpet, ready to blow, looking over the city and going, oh, they're all so happy. They're all having such a nice time. Some of them are getting married. Some of them are growing old. There are kids just being born. Everyone's enjoying themselves. I'm not going to blow my trumpet. I don't want to spoil what I can see. 
And one of the biggest things, I think, one of the biggest reasons we fail to blow our trumpet is we don't want to cause a stir. We don't want to spoil what we see. We don't want to intrude on the, 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 the peace, however kind of um, uh, false that peace might be. We don't want to disturb people or worry people or upset people. We don't want to spoil our friendships. We don't want to test our relationships. I, I read this brilliant blog just a, a day ago that I've been talking about with a few of you for a few weeks. I'll, I'll reblog it or something. And it's about how with our people of peace, we so want to love people and welcome people that we never create in the relationship the opportunity for them to reject us by being clear about what we stand for. And, and effectively in that arena, we, we choose the friendship over blowing the trumpet. And effectively what we say is that, is that keeping the friendship is more important to us than blowing the trumpet, which effectively says we'd rather keep the friendship than to rescue them from the enemy that's on its way. We need to be very careful about going around that loop. Does anyone understand what I'm talking about? You know, I can go around that loop several gazillion times a day. We need to be very careful about that loop. It's the biggest trap the enemy will feed into our minds. That we will, in the end, put things high. We'll say this, uh, uh, motivated by, a, by a, a desperate passion. You see, as the watchman sees the reality of the judgment that's coming, he sees the enemy coming against the city, he will blow his trumpet for all it's worth. It will make a mighty sound. Yeah, a bit like that. And, and again, a lot more than that. And the reason, and the reason he will blow it with all his might is he longs with all his heart for those people, whatever he's disrupting and whatever he's disturbing, he longs for them to know the seriousness of the predicament that they're in. And we need to be very, I'm not talking about being stupid and blowing a trumpet in such a way people can't hear it because we're idiots. I'm talking about blowing a trumpet that's really clear. And this is what God was so fed up with the people in Ezekiel's day, is that they were too busy, caught up in the sin, to blow a trumpet about diddly squat. And he said, it can't carry on like that. Whatever else we do going forward, as I give you a new heart and a new spirit, you need to be that light to the nations that you are always, always supposed to be. It's the most pressing, overriding matter. Fourthly, watchmen know who their people are. Um, You you can't blow a trumpet for everybody. There there was a watchman for every group of people because you you wouldn't hear the trumpet in the distance. In fact, if you were blowing it, you'd hardly hear it at all. Um, uh, And and so you needed trumpets all over the place. Every group of people needed a watchman, a trumpet blower, someone who was going, these are the people, and I'm responsible for these people. And if the enemy's coming, if I'm aware that judgment is coming, I'm going to blow that trumpet as clearly and as loudly as I can. Because watchmen know their responsibility. If the watchman sees the judgment, the sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet, I don't think I'm going to bother. I don't think I'm going to bother. If the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. The judgment's still right. Judgment's still fair. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. It needn't have been like that. See what God's saying? God's saying, if I judge people, it's it's not unfair. That's exactly what everyone deserves. But I'm longing for something else. I'm absolutely, passionately longing for something else. So who are the group of people? 
before we come back to what God's longing for? Who are the group of people for which you might need to blow a trumpet? And what does it mean for you to blow a trumpet for that group of people? And can you blow a trumpet? Or are we so used to not blowing any trumpets anymore that that we've lost the art of blowing the trumpet? One of the hardest things about blowing a trumpet is it involves speaking out, and we generally hate that as Christians because it's difficult and it's hard. Which is probably why there are two words that repeat themselves again and again and again and again and again and again in the Scriptures. And if they repeated themselves again and again and again and again and again and again in the Scriptures, I guess they're fairly important, aren't they? First word, boldness. All the way through the Scriptures. God's saying to people, you've got to be bold. I don't want to. I don't want to be bold. I'm scared. And, and that's what every follower of Jesus and God has always said, I'm scared, I don't want to be bold. Which is why all the time, what you need, God says, is boldness and perseverance to keep pushing through when it feels like everything's against us, to push through when it feels like we don't want to bother, to push through when it feels like, oh, the the judgment's so far off, I'm not going to bother, everyone's happy, let's leave sleeping dogs sleeping or whatever sleeping dogs do, uh, and let's just leave it. Let's not get involved. Let's not create a fuss. If I blow a trumpet, I'll frighten the living daylights out of them. Perseverance. And so, interestingly, in in, in Acts, they were just kind of ordinary Christians trying to work it out, weren't they? And and they prayed. What did they pray? They prayed for great boldness. Now, if they needed to pray for boldness, then I need to pray for boldness. But I, I don't pray for boldness very much. Do you? I usually pray for someone else to go and do it. Pray for boldness and perseverance and pushing through. Why? Why? Because watchmen know how much God longs to save. See, if the watchman doesn't blow the trumpet and the people are judged, that's exactly what people deserve, every single one of us. So it's still fair, but God's saying that's the last thing I want. Blow the trumpet. Why? Because it's not God's heart that anyone should be lost. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? And watchmen, you see, know where to start. Because they know that they have to start where they are. Son of man, say to your people. Your people. So, it's very simple in terms of understanding the principle. There is a judgment coming and we are called to be watchmen. And if we're watchmen, we will have already seen that the judgment is coming. And therefore, we will be blowing our trumpet. So how do you blow your trumpet? And and who are you blowing it for? And those are really two challenging, really challenging questions. Maybe there's a third question. And the third question is, what are the subtle agreements 
from last week, that we might make with ourselves as to why I don't need to blow the trumpet just now. Do I really need to rock the status quo? Do do I really need to disturb people's peace? Do I really need to risk the friendship? Do I really need to, to, to risk people rejecting me for what I'm trying to communicate? And we make these subtle agreements that create a false reality. And do you know what 1 John says? The the enemy gets hold of that false reality and he rocks us to sleep. And you end up with a church that doesn't need to blow anything anymore. And God got fed up with the guys in Ezekiel's day. And it comes to us as a fresh challenge. So where is the challenge for you this morning? A couple of years ago, um, Simon Koshat sensed God speaking to him, and he used the phrase, and still does, watchman. And so I've asked Simon if he'll come and share just a little bit about what that journey has meant for him, understanding what it might be, mean for him to be a watchman. And you'll need to be a watchman in your way. Don't do what he did, but my question as Simon speaks to us, what do we need to do that we might be watchmen too. Simon. I feel slightly terrified. Um, Listening to Simon speak, I realise that God's actually doing some sort of Blue Peter thing today because two years ago he prepared me to be an illustration for his preaching but also for a continuing role. But just bear with me. I hope I don't fluff out. So Simon contacted me during the week and asked me to speak about what being a watchman for Ipswich has meant for me and about the blog and its impact. I believe that God, through the Holy Spirit, gives each one of us a unique ministry, something special and unique to us that he calls us to do for him if only we listen to his voice. And one of the calls God has placed on my life since I came to Ipswich is to be a watchman. When that call came, I had to say to God that I did not know what he meant. And this is what he has showed me so far. It is true that a watchman is someone who watches, but also someone who tries to tune into the heart of God, listening to what God is saying to us and sharing it in community. Someone who listens to God by reading the word, reflecting on it, and praying. Someone who speaks God's message when prompted by him. Someone who is aware of their own iniquity. That's a hard thing to say, but we have to be aware of our own sinfulness and our own need for God on a daily basis. Someone who raises the standard or a banner against the enemy. I'm thinking now of Isaiah 59 where it says, Ride out your storm when the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Someone who identifies strongholds and acts against them. And God has shown me strongholds in Ipswich and has asked me to pray against them. 
someone who seeks to be compassionate. The blog that I write is part of my response to God. It is a .com address, and it is ipswitchwatchman.com. You can find it by googling Ipswich Watchman or just typing in Ipswich Watchman as just one word. It's something I am committed to doing. When I write, I try and hear what the Holy Spirit wants me to write and then write about it. I'm not perfect at it. It is an obedience thing. It is casting God's bread upon the water and I'm doing it in faith and relying on him. One of the unexpected things is that a Muslim friend of mine has become an avid reader of it. She regularly sends me comments and also wants to know where it is if I don't publish on time. One of Debs' Australian friends contacted her and said, I totally have been looking and refreshing myself with all Simon's stuff. I love it. It's really feeding a void in me at the moment. Thank him for me. Tell him I'm loving everything. Thinking back over the last nearly two years of ministry, there are two things that stand out in my mind. One is an experience I had when I was walking to the station. I I get the early train, I get the 6.14, so I'm quite often walking when the sun is rising. And one morning I was praying on the walk to the station by the river and laying claim to the ground of Ipswich and asking God to set it apart for the Lord. I asked him to bless and rescue the people of Ipswich, not to look on our sins and to remember that he created us. Just as I got near to the station, three cormorants flew over my head along the river. I felt it was like God saying that he is sending the Holy Trinity to help Ipswich. God the Father, God the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then when I got onto the station, there was a white dove-like bird on the ledge. It looked like it was there because it had been injured or stunned. Someone had put a white rag around it to keep it warm so that it could recover. I took this bird to mean that we have allowed the Holy Spirit to be neglected or restrained. That for the the Holy Trinity to come to its which we have to help it to recover and return to its proper place. The three cormorants having reminded me that we need the balance of the three in one in our life to give equal attention to the three persons of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit can be the person of the Trinity that can be played down almost. The opposite danger is if we neglect the Father and the Son because we are dwelling in the Spirit too much. The other thing that has really spoken to me just recently is that there is a moving of the Holy Spirit in this current time. God has his winnowing fan out. He is winnowing his church and reviving it. We hear from Wales in England of revival. He will not neglect Ipswich if we seed revival with prayer. God has placed watchmen in many towns. I have found out since January 2012 that God has placed watchmen in many other towns and cities. Quite often they discover each other after they have been called. 
Last week there was an international meeting of prophets in Bethlehem. My friend Peter sent me this message afterwards. God has visited his people again in Bethlehem as we gather to listen. Jesus visited us. Jesus showed us the poverty of our hearts and again chose to make his home in the manger of our hearts. In the middle of a power cut, during an uncomplicated prayer meeting, the crucified Christ stood in our midst. The Holy Spirit was manifest among us. We listened and we interceded for our world, our church. We heard the Lord speak. We saw the Lord speak. We reached out to each other. People from all the nations of the world united in spirit and profoundly moved. And then my cousin wrote to me. She said, she, she has a sort of a similar role in Weymouth. She says, love will last forever. Another reason God tells us to make love our top priority is that it is eternal. These three things continue forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love leaves a legacy. How you treated other people, not your wealth or accomplishments, is the most enduring impact you can leave on earth. As Mother Teresa said, it's not what you do, but how much love you put into it that matters. Love is the secret of a lasting heritage. And to quote Rick Warren as she does, no matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Paul says that Christ's love compels us. Think for a moment about being a watchman and over the city, the town, the village, for which you are the watchman. You know all those people. They're your friends, the neighbors, they're your work colleagues, the people you've grown up with, people who lived in the same street for years. They're even your own family. And one day you look up in the distance and you see the enemy coming. What do you do? What do you do? I would imagine that we would run as fast as we could. That we would blow our trumpet wherever we possibly could. There would be an urgency, a passion, a longing, a desperation. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. All for Jesus. All I'll ever be. Watchmen, the calling of our lives. Let's stand together.